Well, this morning we're going to be finishing our short topical study on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In this study, over the past eight weeks, we've been attempting to lay down a summary foundation of biblical truths concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit, a basic foundation of truth upon which future studies and discussions can be built. So if you're thinking this morning, perhaps on one side of the spectrum, while pastor, you have shared a lot of information in a very short amount of time, I'd say you're right. <laughs> uh, that it was what I was attempting to do, to address every or each major aspect of the person work of the Holy Spirit in a broad and a summary fashion. And if you're thinking this morning, perhaps on the opposite side of the spectrum, while pastor, there is so much more that could be said. Uh, You could have dived so much deeper into these passages over here or explore this whole topic over here. I'd say, you're right. And I am looking forward to doing that when we can in the future. Now that we've laid down a basic foundational understanding of the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He has done, and what He is doing. Because that was the purpose of the study, was to lay down a summary foundation of basic, basic biblical truths regarding who the Holy Spirit is, upon which the future discussions and studies can be built. We began by asking ourselves the question, who is He, regarding the Holy Spirit? And what we discovered is that He's fully God, co-equal with the Father and the Son as the third person of the Godhead. He is God, and He is a very personal God at that, dwelling in us, in His people. And then we asked, what has He done in the past? And what we learned is that through the ages, in all the works that He has ever done, God the Holy Spirit has demonstrated to us the very heart of God, which is a heart of compassion, mercy, truth, and love. That led us to the question of, what is he doing right now in the present? And the short answer is, he is continually, incessantly, relentlessly working to turn us from sin to Jesus Christ above all. He is in the business of exalting Jesus Christ above all and causing us as his people and followers to do so as well. When we submit and surrender to the Spirit's work in our world today, we will begin to live lives that are continually pointing to Christ's salvation, Christ's word, and Christ's life by the power of Christ's gifts. We will begin to live a life that exalts Jesus Christ above all. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing today. Well, that led us to asking the question then, what about sign gifts? Because if we're going to be faithful to and involved in what the Holy Spirit is really doing in our world today, then we need to clearly know what He actually is doing and what He isn't. And so we began this section by considering first from the pages of Scripture, just at a very general level, what is the biblical purpose, people, and past of sign gifts? Sign gifts had a Biblical purpose, we saw. They were revelatory. They were designed to confirm newly revealed, divinely inspired messages from God that would be authoritative over all men for all time. They had a clear purpose to draw people's attention to the new revelation that was being given from God to men. Sign gifts also had a clear people. They were apostolic. They were almost always given to those who were commissioned to write down the New Testament, the apostles, or those whom the Holy Spirit laid their hands on. They had a clear people. And sign gifts also had a clear past. They were fulfilled. As the canon of Scripture slowly came to a close and the revelatory purpose was fulfilled, sign gifts historically faded away just as Scripture predicted and even indicates within its own canon. That moved us on to discussing then the biblical proofs 
of sign gifts. In other words, when someone with whom you've established a Christ-centered relationship with walks up to you because the Spirit is working in their lives to better understand the truth, and they come up to you and ask you the question, what about sign gifts? The most helpful approach in that moment is to turn to what will hopefully be your common and shared authority, which is the Word of God. And what we want to be able to do in that moment is to be able to show from the pages of Scripture alone what true biblical sign gifts are. And then they can determine whether they are in practice today or not. So two weeks ago we looked at the, general, or the genuine gift of biblical prophecy and what we learned is that the gift of prophecy as a rule always bears the characteristics of doctrinal consistency, personal holiness, and total accuracy. Those are the biblical proofs to discern the genuine gift of biblical prophecy. Is it doctrinally consistent with what God has already revealed? Is there personal holiness that shows that this is someone that is actually walking in accordance to the truth? And then third, is it totally accurate? Are they they predicting the future accurately? Last week we looked at the genuine gift of biblical tongues. And what we learned by comparing Acts 2 with 1 Corinthians 12-14 through is that the genuine gift of biblical tongues, no matter where you look in Scripture, is the sudden and supernatural ability to suddenly be able to speak a foreign human language that you had never previously been taught, specifically to share the gospel with others more clearly and more directly than you ever would have been able to do on your own. That is why the Spirit equips His people. Not to make something less clear and less direct, but to make it more clear and more direct. This is how God works. And so that's the biblical proof to discern the genuine gift of tongues. Are they suddenly able to speak a foreign human language that they had never previously learned, specifically to share the gospel and declare the wondrous works of God? Well, that brings us today to looking at the genuine gift of biblical healing. The gift of biblical healing. We're going to consider how does God's Word describe this sign gift, and then we can determine whether it's still in practice today. But before we begin, let's ask the Lord to unfold to us the meaning of His Word so that we might grow in a knowledge and a love of His ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word We thank you for how it continually points us to Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done, and what he is doing. Father, we do thank you that he is the great physician who is always working to bring true, genuine, whole healing to a person. And that is so much more than physical. And that indeed, Father, I just thank you even before we begin that our Lord and Savior recognized when He walked this earth that there are more important things than being physically saved. The most important thing is to be spiritually saved. And that there are more important things than to be physically delivered. There is the most important thing to be spiritually delivered. And that there is something more important than to be physically healed. And that is to be spiritually healed. And indeed, sometimes, Father, you keep us under oppression. You keep us under hardship. You keep us under sickness and illness. 
so that we might find that deeper healing, the healing for which Christ came. Help us to see that this morning, to not be distracted by lesser things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when it comes to discerning the genuine gift of biblical healing, God has not left us without witness. And I want to begin, because I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to share this later. This is not me communicating, do I believe that God heals? Yes, I believe God heals. I believe God is in perfect control of every detail of our lives. I believe He creates life. I believe He sustains life by the word of His power. I believe God has ordained that one of the ways He brings about His sovereign purposes in this world is through the prayers of His people. I believe the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I believe God heals. I believe God uses our prayers to bring about in His sovereign purposes His designed ends for healing in cases. But that is different than the biblical sign gift of healing in which God's healing power rests upon a specific individual for Him to exercise His will in junction with God's will to bring about healing, which bears all the characteristics that we're going to look at today. Those are two totally separate issues. So I don't want you to hear from me this morning as I go through what is the biblical gift of healing that you're saying, well, then pastor doesn't believe God doesn't heal. That's not true. What I'm talking about is the gift of healing as described in the pages of Scripture. And when it comes to the genuine gift of biblical healing, as I said, God's Word does not leave us without witness. The New Testament contains around 40, around 40 different accounts of divine healing all of which are performed either by Christ Himself or by someone directly gifted and commissioned by Him, such as the apostles. If you're interested in knowing what all of those healings are and where they are located, I have a sheet of paper that you can grab with all the references in the church office as you're leaving today, and you can look through every single one of these passages for yourself and determine whether what I say this morning is true. Please do so. Don't take this at my word. Study the Scriptures for yourself. And as you examine those 40 or so accounts of healing, they paint for us a pretty clear image of what the genuine biblical gift of healing looked like when it was practiced in the New Testament times and the New Testament church. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at eight characteristics of that gift of healing as seen throughout the New Testament. And we're going to ask ourselves this question. Does the modern practice of healing that we see in the world today line up with the genuine biblical gift of healing as shown through Christ and the apostles? In other words, as shown through the supreme examples of those who are truly gifted to heal by the Holy Spirit's power. What was the genuine biblical gift of healing? And then we can determine whether it's in practice today or not. And so what we're going to see today, just to run through it really quick, is that the New Testament gift of healing was always successful. 
spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious, undeniable, unmerited, and selfless. That is the biblical gift of healing. So, first and most obviously, let's work through this. The New Testament gift of healing was successful. It was successful. No matter where you look in the entire New Testament, you will never discover a single instance of an attempted healing that proved unsuccessful. You will never hear Jesus say, whoops, that didn't work. Or Paul ever say, too bad, I guess you didn't have enough faith to be healed. No, wherever the genuine biblical gift of healing is present, the healing is always a success every single time. We see this first with Christ. Uh, Luke 4, verse 40 tells us that during Jesus' first visit to his city of Capernaum, as the sun was setting, it says, all those who who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. All, right? 100% success rate. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus was in the land of Gennesaret, it says that when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all that were sick. Imagine that. Verse 36, and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. 100% success rate. The New Testament gift of healing was 100% successful. If you're defining it according to the pages of Scripture. We see that with Christ. We also see that with the apostles. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, when Jesus called His 12 apostles to Himself and bestowed upon them divine authority to exercise the spiritual gift of healing, it says there that Christ gave them the authority to heal every disease and every affliction. Not just some, all of them, 100% success rate. And we see this play out not only throughout the Gospels, but also throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, verse 16, we are told, similar to how they did with Christ, that the people also gathered from all the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. They were bringing them to Peter and the apostles, and listen to this, and they were all healed. 100% success rate. Throughout the New Testament, wherever the genuine gift of biblical healing was at work, there was always 100% success rate. The genuine New Testament spiritual gift of healing, if we're to define it biblically, is always successful. Second, and obviously I'll follow up on that later, second, the New Testament gift of of healing is spontaneous. Is spontaneous. In other words, when you study the various healing accounts recorded in the pages of the New Testament, you will quickly realize that those healings were never prearranged or carefully orchestrated on the part of the healer. Right? They just happened. They were spontaneous, right? Jesus and his apostles, those with the genuine biblical gift of healing, never gathered an audience first sent out flyers for a healing service, meticulously arranged the seating locations of individuals, and carefully controlled the environment before the healing began. No. Those with the genuine gift of healing healed when they were walking in the middle of crowds. 
They healed when they were walking up city streets and someone starts crying out to them. They healed when they were walking through the country. They healed wherever they were. When it comes to the genuine gift of biblical healing, no preparation was required, nor happened. It was always spontaneous. We see this with Christ. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, as Jesus is simply headed to Peter's house for a visit. There he discovers that Peter's mother-in-law has come down with a fever. And Matthew 8, 14-15 says this, When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So what does he do? Verse 15, he touches her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Think of that. No arrangement or preparation was needed. The genuine healing was totally spontaneous. Again, Luke 8, 44, we're told that as Jesus was in a crowd and the crowd was pressing in around him all around, verse 42 tells us, a woman who had suffered from a bleeding problem for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And talk about a spontaneous healing in that moment. Jesus had to draw attention to the healing after it happened, not before. That's how spontaneous it was. The genuine New Testament gift of healing was never staged. It was always spontaneous. We see this with Christ, and we see this with the apostles. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were simply on their way to the temple to pray for the day. And they are suddenly interrupted by a crippled beggar, which we read about this morning, who asks them for some money. And what does Peter do in that moment? Just as he's on the way to the temple to pray, he looks down at the man and he says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately he gets up. No staging required. Completely spontaneous. This was just on their way to church. In Acts chapter 20, Paul preaches a communion sermon that's laughably so long a young man falls asleep and tumbles out of a third-story window. I'm not that bad yet. (laughs) And so what does Paul do? He goes downstairs, he heals the boy, and then he takes communion and keeps on preaching into the early hours of the morning. I mean, this guy was dedicated. Talk about spontaneous. A guy drops dead in your worship service. You're healed. Okay, let's keep going. No matter where you look, when you see the genuine gift of healing used in the New Testament, it's never, ever staged, carefully orchestrated, or prepared for in advance. It is always spontaneous. It's always spontaneous. The New Testament gift of healing was successful. It was spontaneous. Third, the New Testament gift of healing was effortless. And this kind of goes along with, with the last point, but whenever those with the genuine gift of biblical healing actually healed in the New Testament... It was always done effortlessly when you study. It's always done with just a simple word or a simple touch, right? Just like that. There was never any theatrics. There was never any rituals. There was no stressful prayers, no putting on a jacket and carrying a big stick and pounding the stage, no forceful pushing or kicking into the gut before someone was healed. Yes, all of those things happen today by supposed healers. The New Testament gift of healing was always done effortlessly with a simple word or a simple touch to produce a supernatural healing. We see this all the time with Christ. Again, there's so many examples. In John 4, verse 50, Jesus heals an official son from a distance of several miles by simply saying to his father, 
go, your son will live. And we're told at that very hour, his son was healed effortlessly. In Mark 7, 34, Jesus heals a deaf and a mute man by touching his ears and his tongue and simply saying one simple word to him. Ephatha, be opened. And immediately the man heard and spoke plainly. The healing was effortless. And this is seen over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. Again, you can look them up on your own. In fact, Jesus' miracles were carried out so plainly and so effortlessly that a centurion said to Jesus in Luke 7, verse 7, You speak as though a man who possesses authority. Just say the word and I know he'll be healed as I go. New Testament gift of healing was effortless. See this with Christ. We also see this with the apostles as well. In Acts 5, we're told that crowds were lining the city streets with the sick. Why? Because whoever Peter's shadow fell on were being healed. Talk about effortless healing. He doesn't even need to talk or touch them. He's got to walk by. And then in Acts 19, 11-12, we're told that extraordinary miracles were being done by the hands of Paul, and not just by his hands, but people were being healed simply by being brushed with one of his handkerchiefs or aprons. Apparently, Paul wore aprons. And this type of effortless healing is demonstrated throughout the book of Acts. Over and over and over again, we see it throughout the New Testament where the true gift of healing is present. There's no drama. There's no theatrics. There's no smoke machines. (laughs) Just a simple touch. There's no organ playing to. There's just a simple touch, a simple word that produces a supernatural healing. That is the New Testament gift of healing according to the pages of Scripture. It is successful. It is spontaneous. It is effortless. Fourth, The New Testament gift of healing is instantaneous. The New Testament never records a single instance in which the gift of healing is used and someone slowly starts to get better over a process of several days or weeks or months. No, when the true gift of healing is used, people are always completely healed in an instant. No therapy, no recovery, no recuperation time needed. It's always an immediate healing, and this is what made it miraculous. We see this explicitly stated in nearly every miracle. Here's just a few examples from the life of Christ. In Matthew 8.13, when Jesus healed that centurion servant, it says the servant was healed when? At that very moment. In Mark 1.42, when Jesus healed a leper, as soon as Jesus said, be clean, we're told immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. In John 5, verse 9, when Jesus healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, as soon as Jesus said, get up, take up up your bed and walk, we're told at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. The New Testament gift of healing was instantaneous. This is seen throughout the Gospel accounts. We'll see the words, if you were to look up all those verses that that I have in the back, you would see the words at once or immediately show up over and over and over and over and over again. The New Testament gift of healing was instantaneous. We see this with Christ and we see this with the apostles. In Acts 3, when Peter, again on his way to the temple, healed that man who had been lame from birth, we're told immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
think about that. How much decay and corruption had happened in his, in his legs. Not only that, how his brain wasn't even equipped to be able to walk. Jesus instantly heals that right then and there. I remember when I had surgery and I was on my bed for seven days, it took me a while to learn how to walk again. Can you imagine someone who had never walked instantly being able to walk and leap and praise God? instantaneous healing. In Acts chapter 9, when Peter met a man who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years, as soon as Peter says, Jesus heals you, we're told in Acts 9.34, immediately he arose. And this follows all the way through to the end of the book. Every single miracle that takes place in the book of Acts happens instantaneously. Why? Because the book of Acts is describing the genuine biblical gift of healing. And the genuine New Testament gift of healing according to Scripture is successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous. Fifth, I think this is big, the New Testament gift of healing is obvious. In other words, when you study the New Testament, what you'll quickly realize is that Jesus and the apostles, those who genuinely had the biblical gift of healing, didn't go around healing minor, unobservable physical issues, right? Like lower back pain or headaches or poor eyesight, or heart palpitations. When the genuine gift of biblical healing was used, they healed major, obvious bodily problems. We see this first with Christ. Luke chapter 6 describes how when Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath one day, a man was there whose right hand was withered up. And that word means it was twisted, it was dried up, and it was useless, likely due to some form of paralysis, severe paralysis. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus had him come up who had an obvious physical problem, and in front of the entire crowd and the furious Pharisees, Jesus told him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Everyone saw that man's withered, limp, twisted hand suddenly be filled with strength, muscles, life, straight, flex, move. It was obvious. Again, in Luke chapter 14, the Pharisees set a trap for Jesus during a Sabbath's dinner meal by putting before Christ, this is one of the, one of the passages when I came across it in Scripture and studied what it meant, just how heartless the Pharisees were, but they put before Christ a man who had dropsy. That is, a man whose body was swelling and severely bloated due to internal organ failure. Talk about an obvious problem. And what did Jesus do? Luke 14, 4 says, He took him up into his arms, healed him, and sent him away. Think of that. Jesus takes this man bloated in pain and he instantly heals him. The fluid in his body instantly disappears. The organs in his body are instantly recreated in the eyes of everyone there. The healing was obvious. That's no lower back pain. That's no left foot might be a half an inch shorter than the other one. The healing was obvious. Obvious. And there were so many other examples that could be given of how Jesus healed crippled legs that had never walked before, or had healed blind eyes that had never seen before, or healed broken bodies that had never moved before, or who healed leprous skin that everybody could see was decaying and falling apart. Jesus healed obvious problems. The New Testament gift of healing was obvious. We see that with Jesus, and we see that with the apostles as well. 
We see that with the apostles as well. The lame man that Jesus, that Peter healed in Acts 3, we're told in verse 2 that he was lame from his birth and he had been laid at the gate of the temple where he would ask for alms from everyone who entered. In other words, everyone in Jerusalem knew who this guy was. He had an obvious problem. It wasn't someone that just walked in off the street, I have no idea who you are, but you're saying that you have this problem. It was obvious. Everyone knew him. And yet at a simple command from Peter, he's up walking and leaping and praising God. It's obvious. In Acts 14, verse 10, Paul's preaching to a crowd in Lystra, and he sees a man in his audience who had been crippled from birth and had never walked. Everyone in the church knew who that man was and what his problem was. In other words, everyone knew and could see that he was lame and always had been. And with a simple command, we're told that he sprang up and began walking. It was obvious. So obvious, in fact, that the crowd started to try to worship Paul and Barnabas to their great dismay. This is seen throughout the book of Acts. Every healing that happens heals major, observable, bodily problems. Why? Because it was a genuine gift of biblical healing. And I didn't even get to talk about the resurrections, right? Think about it. Luke chapter 7, Jesus bumps into a funeral, and boom, he raises the widow's son to life. Talk about an obvious problem. In John chapter 11, Jesus cracks open a grave, and boom, raises Lazarus from the dead after four days in his grave clothes. In Acts 9, Peter walks into a house of mourning and raises the corpse of Tabitha from her bed in instant life. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul picks up the broken body of Eutychus and immediately raises him from the dead to total healing. I mean, talk about obvious problems. These people have obvious problems. They're dead. And yet they're instantly healed. Why? Because the genuine gift of biblical healing was truly present. Have you seen any so-called faith healers raise the dead recently? I didn't think so, and you want to know why? It's because they don't have the biblical gift. If they did, they'd be walking through the hospital wards just like Jesus and his apostles walked through the streets and the crowds, and they would be healing every person they came across, especially those people with the most obvious of problems, even death. Why? Because that is what the New Testament gift of healing was. That's how God gets people's attention to pay attention to newly revealed revelation that's authoritative over all men for all time. It's that type of gift. It's successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious. Sixth, the New Testament gift of healing was undeniable. Undeniable. In other words, when the genuine gift of biblical healing was at work in the New Testament, even the enemies of Jesus and his apostles who wanted so badly to reject their message could not deny the validity of the works that they were performing. Even their enemies had to admit that these people were being miraculously healed of obvious problems. It was undeniable. We see this with Christ, first of all. For example, in Luke eleven fifteen, after Jesus cast out from a man a demon that was mute, we were told that everybody marveled. 
And even his enemies couldn't deny what Jesus had done. All they could do is attempt to discredit the miracle by saying, well, yeah, he cast out miracles, but it's by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, right? Okay, he's doing it, but it's not really from God. In other words, even Christ's enemy couldn't deny his gift of healing. All they could do is attempt to discredit it. It was so obvious, it was so undeniable. Later, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus starts walking around Jerusalem saying, hey, I'd like to tell you my life story, even the furious religious leaders couldn't deny the walking evidence of what Jesus had done. They said in John eleven forty seven through 48 what are we to do for this man performs many signs? It was undeniable. The only solution they could come up with was eliminate the evidence. Kill Lazarus, kill Jesus. Why? Because the genuine gift of healing, when it's truly present, is what? Undeniable. We see this with Christ's apostles also. In Acts 4, 16-17, after Peter healed that lame beggar in the gate of the temple, even the ruling leaders of the Sanhedrin, the same people that killed Jesus just a few days before, couldn't deny the miracle that Peter had just done at the gate of the temple. They met in their council and they said to one another, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And then in Acts 16, when Paul cast a demon out of a slave girl in Philippi, even her angry Gentile pagan owners did not deny what had happened. Rather, they dragged Paul before the city magistrates and had him thrown into jail and attempt to kill him. Why? Because the reality of Paul's power to heal was undeniable. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, you always see healings take place that are undeniable. Why? Because they're describing the genuine biblical gift of healing, which is successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious, and undeniable. And now we come to the final two characteristics of the genuine gift of biblical healing, and I think in terms of what we see in our world today by self-proclaimed faith healers, these final two might be the most important to consider. So, and that's saying a lot, considering what we've already looked at. So let's look at them. Not only, not only is the genuine gift of biblical healing successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious, and undeniable, seventh, the New Testament gift of healing is unmerited. That is to say, the genuine biblical gift of healing was successfully applied to every single type of person, regardless of who they were or what level of faith they possessed. In other words, when you see Jesus and his apostles performing healings, they never did what modern faith healers do, which is have people get in the line and then carefully choose out through cards and tickets who has enough faith to deserve to come to the front of the crowd and get a chance to be healed and who doesn't get that chance. And you certainly never heard the excuse that we hear today, well, I'm sorry, I tried to heal you, but I guess you just didn't have enough, what? Faith. Did you believe? Did, did you really believe? No, Jesus and his apostles healed everybody, regardless of whether they had faith or had the ability to exercise faith or not. The gift of healing is unmerited. We see this first with Christ. For example, in Luke 17, 11 through 19, Jesus comes across a group of 10 lepers who all ask Jesus to show mercy on them in some way. 
And Jesus proceeds to heal all ten of those lepers, if you recall the story. And yet the story reveals that only one of them actually demonstrated faith in the end. In other words, Jesus' healing of those lepers was not dependent on any way on them or their faith. Their healing was totally unmerited. Likewise, the lame man that Jesus healed at the pool of Bethesda in John 5.13 didn't even know who Jesus was until after he had been healed, let alone have any faith in him. Right? Remember when the Pharisees came up to him and says, who is it that healed you? And he's like, I don't know. It was the guy that said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Right? Jesus healed him when he was in a position of complete ignorance, not to mention unbelief. His healing was completely unmerited and was not dependent on anything in himself. This continues to happen throughout the entirety of Jesus' ministry. Jesus heals whole crowds of people, a great many of whom we know did not believe in him, as we find out later in the Gospels, as crowds desert him when, they don't give him, when, he, when, they, when he doesn't give them bread, and then later cry out for his death. The genuine gift of biblical healing was unmerited. We see this with Christ. We also see this with the apostles Right, when Peter healed that layman in front of the temple in Acts 3, 6-8, he didn't require a demonstration of faith before he healed him. He just commanded him, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. It was completely unmerited. Later in Acts 16, 18, Paul heals an unbelieving slave from her demon possession, even though she didn't demonstrate faith before her healing, but rather mockery and contempt. Just as the demoniacs that Jesus healed... In Matthew 8 and Mark 1 cannot reasonably have had faith before being healed. This girl didn't demonstrate faith before she was healed either. It was unmerited. And beyond this, think for a moment about all those people that Jesus and his apostles did what? Again, i got to go back to it. Raised from the dead, right? Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, decaying Lazarus, sleeping Tabitha, broken Eutychus. How much faith do you think they exercised before they were healed? Answer, none. They were dead. How much faith can a dead person exercise and contribute to their healing? None whatsoever. Their healing was completely unmerited and faith was not a prerequisite for them to be healed. Why? Because Jesus and the apostles had the successful, had the genuine gift of biblical healing. They had the genuine biblical gift of healing. And the genuine gift of biblical healing is successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious, undeniable, unmerited, and finally, the New Testament gift of healing is selfless. Selfless. In other words, Jesus and his apostles, though they healed people, never built their ministry on their ministry of healing. Ever. Ever. Their ministries were built solely on the proclamation of the word of God. And in fact, they would not do miracles if people did not want to hear that saving message. Jesus and his apostles never healed anyone for money or for fame. Ever. Throughout their ministry, they always focused their healing ministries, when you study the Gospels, on the poorest and most lowly members of society. In other words, on the very people who could never, ever, 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 ever pay them back. Those were the people that Jesus and the apostles wanted to heal. They healed blind beggars. They healed leprous outcasts 
who lived outside the city. They healed bankrupt cripples. These were the people that Jesus and His apostles healed and they never, ever asked for any money in return. Why? Because the genuine gift of healing was completely selfless. In fact, the one time that Peter was offered money, if you recall, in exchange for healing power, he sternly rebuked Simon the magician, saying, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. How different is that to modern-day healers who often say the only way you can ever be healed is if you have enough faith, namely, to send in seed money. That concept is completely foreign to Scripture. Jesus, and in fact, that, is, that, that characteristic is completely in line with false teachers who are always motivated by greed and money. Jesus and His apostles never healed for money. And they never healed for, he, healed for popularity or fame either. In fact, Jesus would often command those whom He healed to do what? To not tell anyone what had just happened. And then in John 6, verse 15, when the crowds wanted to make Him king because of all of His miracles, if you remember, Jesus withdrew from them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Though crowds were constantly flocking to them throughout their ministry, because of healing, Jesus and His apostles were never interested in becoming popular ever. Their only concern, please listen to this, was to be faithful to the calling of God upon their lives to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus commands His apostles in Luke 10, verse 20, when they came back from a missions trip, to rejoice, not in the fact that they could perform miracles, but He draws them back to what really matters, what ought to be at the heart of their ministry, in the fact that their names were written down in heaven. And then as Jesus warns all of us, in Mark 9, 43-47, it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. It is better to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. When people say God wants you to be healed, He wants everybody to be healed, that is a lie because God has a healing so much greater than your body He has in store. And sometimes He will keep you blind and He will keep you crippled and He will keep you lame so that you will come to Jesus Christ and find true healing for your soul. He wants a deeper healing. What does it matter what your earthly body is right now? What matters is where is your soul headed for eternity? God will take care of your physical body later. This life means nothing. Eternity is everything. And so even when Jesus performed healings, physical healings, it was always to draw people's attention to the message he was preaching. Which was thoroughly biblical and grounded in Christ above all. It was a deeper healing. So that was Jesus' constant focus. It was faithfulness. to the and, and his apostles, it was faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and a pursuit of a deeper healing in people's lives. 
Why? Because the genuine gift of biblical healing had a revelatory purpose to it, didn't it? And the gift of healing was always successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious, undeniable, unmerited, and selfless, pointed like a laser towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the genuine gift of biblical healing. There's so much more that could be said and should be that are on the periphery of these issues. But frankly, the best approach to matters like this as we deal with someone with whom the Holy Spirit is working is to simply go back to the Word of God and ask ourselves, are these experiences being claimed today regarding the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and healing, are they biblical? Are we seeing the genuine gift of biblical prophecy which was doctrinally consistent, personally holy, and totally accurate? Are we seeing the genuine gift of biblical tongues, which was always the sudden and supernatural ability to share the gospel in a foreign human tongue? And are we seeing the genuine gift of biblical healing, which was always successful, spontaneous, effortless, instantaneous, obvious, undeniable, unmerited, and selfish, selfless? focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ? The answer is no. As defined by Scripture alone, we are not seeing those genuine gifts in practice today. Because they had a biblical purpose. They had a clear purpose, clear people, clear past. And I want to end this topical series a bit more personally than I do most to help you understand my heart's burden. In sharing this final section with you, this final section of our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, In my devotions recently, I came across the passage in Mark 6-8 through that's bookended by two statements regarding Christ's compassion. In Mark 6-34, it begins by saying, When he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then in Mark 8, verse 2, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said yet again, I have compassion on this crowd. One of the things that I've never noticed before is that every event that occurs between those two statements in Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8 are demonstrations of how Jesus did all things well, as the end of chapter 7 says. Why? Because he did all things with compassion. So if you look at the passages just after that statement of compassion in Mark 6, Jesus follows up his teaching by feeding the hungry. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. And then his disciples were caught in a vicious storm out on the sea, and Jesus supernaturally comes across the sea, walking on the water to them in the midst of their storm and struggle. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. And then when he lands in Gennesaret, he proceeds to heal the crowds in every village, city, and countryside. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. And then if you look at the passages just before his statement of compassion in Mark 8, At the end of Mark chapter 7, Jesus, upon entering the region of Tyre and Sidon, he heals a Gentile woman's daughter. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. And then when he came back 
to the Sea of Galilee, he heals a man who was deaf and mute. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. Well, do you know what's located right in the heart of all those accounts of Jesus' compassion? It's Jesus confronting the Pharisees with some of the strongest language that's found in the entire Gospel of Mark, exposing their teaching next to the Word of God as being unbiblical. You say, well, why would Jesus ever do that? Answer, because He was moved with compassion. See, one of the things that isn't often discussed when it comes to this issue of sign gifts in the church today is the damage that is done, the damage that false unbiblical prophets, false unbiblical tongues, and false unbiblical healers have on people's eternal souls. Scripture teaches, teaches us that people who deceive in this way often prey on the weakest of people. They prey on the sick, the dying, the confused and doubting, the discouraged and dissatisfied. And when those people must be directed to Christ above all, they're being pointed in some other direction. Think about the damage that is done when someone falsely claims to have the gift of prophecy. I'll never forget about an account or a story that was shared once by John Piper. He said, A woman came to me while my wife was pregnant with my fourth child. And she said, I have a very hard prophecy for you. I said, okay. She said, in fact, she wrote it down and gave it to me. Your wife is going to die in childbirth and you're going to have a daughter. I went back to my study. I got down and I just wept. And when we delivered our fourth boy, not girl, I gave a whoop, which I always do. But this whoop was a little extra because I knew as soon as the boy was born that this was not a true prophecy. So you can see even through the personal experience of a man like John Piper, the destructive effects that modern false claims to prophecy can have on people's souls. Nine months of anxiety and fear because someone who wasn't a prophet said that they were. The truths of what makes a genuine prophet and the truths of what doesn't really matters to people's souls. Think about the damage that is done when someone falsely claims to have the gift of tongues. Depending on who you're talking to, you'll either be told you're not saved or that you are perhaps insensitive and, res- and resistant to the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Imagine the damage that is done when someone is told that they need to have something that isn't even the genuine gift of biblical tongues. Imagine the confusion and doubt that arises in their hearts. Am I resistant to God's working in my life? Do I need to be submissive to something else other than God's leading through His Word? If I can't do this, is there something wrong with me? Am I missing out? The truths of what the genuine gift of tongues is and what isn't really matters to people's souls. And finally, think about the damage that is done when someone falsely claims to have the gift of healing but really doesn't. When someone goes to a healing service and then is not healed, what will inevitably happen? What will they so often be told? Well, I'm sorry, but you just didn't have enough faith. Didn't you believe? Because if you had enough faith, you'd be what? Healed. 
This is not hypothetical. This has happened to people in our own congregation. Imagine the damage that is done, unnecessary damage that is done to people's souls through that. The discouraged and unnecessary doubt that comes through teaching like that. Do I not have enough faith? Am I living with something that God doesn't desire for me to have? Does this sickness mean my heart isn't right with God? The truths of what the genuine gift of biblical healing is and what it isn't really matters to people's souls. And when people are able to go around saying things like, I have the gift of prophecy, I have the gift of tongues, I have the gift of healing without having to answer to the Word of God and what it actually says about those gifts, deep spiritual damage is done to God's people. We need to be like Christ who sees the crowds and are moved with compassion for these souls who are being deceived by people whom God has not sent by promises that God has not given. And rather than seeking after strange avenues for the Holy Spirit's work, we ought to as God's people, engage ourselves fully in the confirmed ministry of the Holy Spirit in our world today. Rather than seeking additional words from the Lord, we should devote ourselves to and contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints, the Scriptures which are totally sufficient to make us complete and fully equipped for every single good work. We must be biblical. Rather than seeking unknowable tongues, we should resolve, as Paul says, rather to just speak five understandable words with our minds in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. We must be clear. And rather than seeking guarantees for physical healing, we should engage ourselves in proclaiming Jesus Christ who is the guaranteed holistic healer of every human being who trusts in Him, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It is by His wounds that we have been truly healed. We must be evangelistic. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. So that's what we're reminded of when we ask ourselves the question, what about sign gifts? We are reminded that we must be biblical. We are reminded that we must be clear. And we are reminded that we must be evangelistic for Christ to be exalted above all in our midst today. So may we as a church align ourselves to the Spirit's genuine biblical work in this world by directly sharing the clear Word of God and the saving testimony of Jesus Christ, which is sufficient and able to bring true and everlasting healing for all those who believe in Him. It is to this Word that I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Jesus Christ, who is the final Word, the final sign, and the final healer, comes for His own. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Jesus. I thank You for the message that You have entrusted to us that there is a Lord and Savior who has died, has risen, and is coming again. 
who right now rules over every event of our lives, our healing and our sicknesses, to conform us more into His image and to bring about within us that deeper healing which delights your soul as we walk in faith and in worship to you. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to study your word, to be biblical. I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us the power to speak clearly that saving message of Jesus Christ to those around us. And Father, I pray that you would cause us to be evangelistic. Father, help us to proclaim one single message Christ above all to those that you have put in our lives because nothing else matters. What shall it matter if a person gains the whole world, if a person gains complete healing and loses their own soul? Help us to be biblical, Father. Help us to be clear And help us to be evangelistic for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ in our midst today. May He be honored above all in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.